if you want to experience supernatural intervention of God, you must abide in Christ. And one of the ways we do that is when we're overwhelmed by God, when we understand how great He is. You are listening to a message preached by Pastor Bogdan Kipko at Forward Church in Irvine, California. For more information about Forward Church, please visit forward.fm. So early on in our marriage, I, Victoria and I went through a lot of different stages of learning. And one of the things that I learned was that when you're planning a vacation and you have uh, two options, whether, and it's an option that's going to be slightly okay or whether it's going to be a stellar option, you should always choose a stellar option. You should never go for mediocrity because it will never be a good option. And I had to learn that the hard way. And what happened was we were planning, my wife and I were planning one of our first vacations and we were going to go to um, Cabo San Lucas and we found this resort and it looked great on pictures. It looked amazing. I went to TripAdvisor. I went to everywhere possible to, to research it. And every time I went to see this one particular resort, there was another resort that kept upselling me and saying to me, yeah, this one's great, but you should come see us. And so me trying to be thrifty, I said, you know what? Let's go to the cheaper resort because the more expensive one, it's probably not as good as the pictures say. And so my wife, being the trusting wife that she is, she said, okay, uh, I trust you, plan everything out, and so I did. So the flight there was great. The shuttle there to the hotel was great. And we're a couple years married, and imagine this, we're on this shuttle bus after about eight hours of traveling to get to this resort, to have a vacation, to rest, to recharge, to... Uh, be refreshed, and we're driving up this very long, narrow hill. And so as we're driving up this hill with, in this shuttle bus, this deep anticipation is in my heart of, wow, I cannot wait to be with a poolside, to eat some great food, to relax. And as we're driving up this, this hill, and, I don't, and we're nearing the top of it, and I can almost see, I can almost feel how my wife is going to be like, man, you're awesome. Definitely not a mistake getting married to you. You planned the greatest vacation in the world. And so I'm on cloud nine. And, and as the, 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 the incline continues going, we reach the top of the hill and we see this massive, beautiful palace. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And so my wife, I can see the glow in her face, and we're so pumped and excited. And then absolutely the unexpected happens. The shuttle bus in which we're in, instead of going towards the palace, it takes a sharp right. And it starts going in this, this very bumpy road, and, 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 I, and I almost kind of feel my dreams being crushed inside of me. And my wife, because she's incredibly more intuitive than I am, she immediately kind of begins to understand what's happening. And now this horror begins to fill my mind because I'm like, wait a minute. I thought that was the place, but we're going somewhere else. And so as we approach this destination place, it ultimately looks horrible. 
It's small, it's dingy looking, it's nothing like what the picture said it looked like, and I'm like, oh my goodness, four and a half days at this place. And so as we roll up, I'm trying to keep my composure because I'm an optimist by heart, naturally. So I'm like, oh, you know what? They probably have really good dinners, and their pool must be amazing. Let's not worry about how the outside of it looks. And my wife at the moment, she's trying to be nice to me. She's like, um, okay, let's give this a try. So the shuttle bus drops us off. There's no skip in our step as we walk off the steps of the shuttle bus. So we walk, and the guy gives us our luggage, the people are nice, and they're like, yeah, let me take you to your room. And we're like, yeah, please, please take us to our room. And so as we're, as we're um, escorted to our room, we're, we, we first walk by where all the places where you're going to eat. And that's when the first dream is incredibly crushed because I'm looking at it and I'm like, dude, like the, the Costco cafeteria looks incredibly better than what's going on right here. And as we continue going into our room, I'm like saying, I'm like, well, honey, maybe the room is amazing. Maybe we'll have a great view of the ocean. There is no ocean. There's no view. There's nothing. There's just walls everywhere. Gray and stucco walls all over the place. And so as we finally walk up the stairs and we get into our room, we sit there and we're realizing this is not what we expected. Now, what's happening for me it is a learning experience. So if you will, at this moment, I'm experiencing a sort of discipleship. I'm learning from experience. So we sit in the bed. My wife is like, she's like, you know what? I'm just going to take a nap. Now, that's wife speak for let's get the situation fixed, okay? And so immediately, and I'm not even happy with the place myself. And so I go out to the front desk, and I'm like, excuse me. They're like, yes. I'm like, um, we kind of want to go to that one over there. They're like, oh, the big palace? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that one. They're like, okay, well, here's going to be the cost for it and everything else uh, to upgrade. And I calculated everything, and, and the first part of me is like, well, it's going to be a bit more expensive. But then I thought, you know what? We're here for four and a half days. And our enjoyment level is significantly more important than any amount this is going to cost. Okay? So... I say, we'll take it. I march back to our room. I say, honey, pack your bags. She's excited. We pack our bags. We get on the shuttle bus. We go back on that bumpy road, and we start going on top of that hill, and now we're finally going to the palace. And we get there, and it is so much better than I even expected. People are greeting us, and it's a beautiful view of the ocean, and our room is beautiful, and the pools are beautiful, and everything is great. And we finally settle into our room, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for the fact that I'm able to do this and that I went through this discipleship process, and it was a learning experience. And then my wife was like, wow, honey, great choice. Great choice. And I'm like, absolutely, I wanted to do this from the start. Why am I telling you this story? Because often in your life and in my life, there is a point where we have to pay a price and it is worth the cost to get something much better. Do you guys agree with what I'm saying? It's worth the cost. It's worth the extra energy. Sometimes it's even worth the extra money that you're going to put in. So this morning, I want to talk to you about discipleship. And I want to tell you what Jesus, how Jesus defines true discipleship. And all the word discipleship means is learning. 
It's learning. And so in my life, I went through a learning experience. I went through a discipleship process. And so when we look at this particular text, if you have your Bibles, if you have your Gospel of Mark, or if you have it in your app, go ahead and open with me to Mark chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 13 and 15. And Jesus is going to define for us what discipleship or what learning is all about. So here's what's happening. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. We're going to start right there. So, if we look at this particular text, we must understand why discipleship is so important. And there are going to be very intense and delicate moments in your walk with Jesus that you should be trained and you should be equipped to know what to do. You absolutely must have that. And so what discipleship means is that a disciple, a follower of Jesus is one who learns in active fellowship. Now keep in mind, active fellowship. It's one that's part of a church, part of a community group, part of a ministry, serving, growing, learning, sharing. It's the only way discipleship is going to take place. It's active fellowship. So what does that practically mean for you and for me? Well, what we need to understand is that Jesus gives us today a definition of the function of the 12 disciples that he's going to choose. So we're going to talk about today about the function of the disciples. And if I, I want you to notice this text. I want you to notice that Jesus went up on a mountainside. This is not a coincidence. There's a specific reason why Jesus goes to a mountain in order to call his disciples. And the first clue that we see in this text is that Jesus is going into the hills. And if we read the Bible, mountains are often in Mark, sites of revelation or significant junctures in Jesus' ministry. Last week when our church went to Big Bear, we were in the mountains. It was beautiful. It was majestic. And you can't help but be swallowed up by the beauty and the majesty of the mountains. And if you're somebody who loves nature, don't you feel very small when you're in nature? God is so big. God is so grand, yet you are not. And so if you want to be reminded of how big God is and how big you're not, Go to nature. Go to a mountain. That's where we were at with the church last week. That's where we came back more spiritual. Um, and so Jesus ascending to a mountain has a significance of when Moses ascended onto Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. So I want you guys to understand this for a moment. This moment when Jesus chooses his 12 disciples is a watershed moment in the life of Jesus. It is equally as important as when Moses went to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. There's something supernatural that's going to happen on the mountain. And God, very often, when he wants to do something incredible, he does it on a mountain. So what happens is, in the Old Testament, mountains are frequently associated with God's presence. Isaac, if you remember, if you read the Old Testament... He's offered up on a mountain. Moses prayed on a mountain. Elijah prayed on a mountain. The ark is set on a hill in a high place. Yahweh dwells in the mountains. Above all, God gives the commandments on Mount Sinai. Mount Zion is God's dwelling place, and God will judge the earth from 
the Mount of Olives. There's a reason why God, Jesus goes to the mountain to appoint the 12 disciples. And I want you guys to notice for a minute that the Bible says Jesus called to him those he wanted. He called to him those he wanted. And in the Greek, it's, it's more emphatic. In a sense, he summoned them. If you've ever received a summons, it's not just, hey, do you want to come here? It's, you must be here. This is a summons, okay? It is a charge of sorts. So what happens is, Jesus determines the call. And so if you're here this morning and you have any idea of what it means even remotely to follow Jesus, it's because Jesus summoned you. He called you. He charged you with something. Regardless of how well you think you're following him or how you've stopped following him, he still is summoning you today. He's summoning you to follow him. And so disciples do not decide to follow Jesus and do him a favor in so doing. Rather, the call supersedes their will. So very often in your life and in my life, we're not good learners because God puts us in situations where he's like, look, I'm going to teach you a lesson, but we do not. We keep choosing the, the, the resorts that you should not be going to. So how do I be, how can I be a faithful disciple? Well, I don't turn good things into ultimate things. I have money, but I don't let money use me. I use my money according to the glory of God. My work is not where my identity is wrapped up in. Jesus is. Therefore, I work as unto the Lord. I do things in a way where it's, it's in submission to Jesus. Raising kids, going to church, going, pursuing your career, being nice to your neighbors, like not cutting people off when you're driving. Like, that's active discipleship. It's a simple thing to do, but yet it's so difficult when we're trying to flesh it out in our everyday life. So to be with Jesus is a, the most profound mystery of discipleship. That's what discipleship is. It's not first a program. It's not a process. It's not a list of things. It's to be with Christ, to seek him out. And so from now on, from this particular moment, his person, Jesus' person, and Jesus' work determines the existence of the 12. So we must first understand, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, have I brought my entire life into submission of Jesus? That's first. Now, the second purpose of the call is to be sent, because here's what's going to happen. I dare you to do this, like right now, I dare you, this week. I dare you to bring into submission every part of your life to Jesus' feet. I dare you to do that. See what happens. I dare you to say, you know what, God? My work has been a sense of identity for me. It's no longer is God. Your son, Jesus, is. Therefore, I want to work as unto the Lord. My money, God, my time... My resources, my talents, my intelligence level. God, use it how you will. And I want you to pray this dangerous prayer and say, God, have your way with me. And I want you to come back to me next week and tell me what your life looked like. You might actually experience more difficulties and hardships, but the amount of joy you're going to experience will supersede anything you've ever had. That's active fellowship. 
Faith is stepping into a territory. We don't know what's behind it, but yet we do because we know the one who holds that future. It's exciting. That's what happens. And so when people come to me and they give me testimonies, when people say, you know what, I was nervous about stepping into this particular ministry, but then I did, and I demonstrated obedience, and now God is blessing me, that's act of fellowship. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life. He cares so much, not about what you're doing, but who you're becoming. He wants to spend time with you. How often, and I catch myself doing this, you're with your spouse and you're both on your phones. You're just scrolling, miles and miles and miles of scrolling. Social media, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. And you're like, yeah, we're spending time with each other. Not really. Even with our own family and our own spouses, it is so difficult to just be and not do. We must make a conscious effort for that, especially with Jesus. We must have that communion time with him. So when you start doing those things, when you start praying dangerous prayers, you're going to want to do what Jesus is calling you to do. This is the second purpose of the call. It's not just to be, it's also to do. And in the Greek, the verbal form of this word for apostle means to commission or to send with a specific purpose. So you, this morning, you have a specific purpose. I don't know if you knew that or not. I'm here to tell you. You have a specific purpose. You exist for a reason. And it's not like there is these like super apostles, super followers of Jesus, like they're the varsity team, they're dunking on everybody. And then here's these like little itty bitty Christians, like barely functioning. It's not like that. Jesus is our senior pastor. He's our God. We are all on the same level playing field. We are his disciples. We must seek out active fellowship with him. What does that mean? Think about it. This is made evident by the fact that the word apostle occurs only once for certain in Mark chapter 6, whereas the word disciple or learner occurs 45 times. Jesus cares so much for us to be disciples. And ultimately, the profound mystery of being a disciple of Jesus is having fellowship with him. So the call and commission of the 12 is a representative of all of Jesus' followers, including you and me today. He tells them to preach, to have authority to drive out demons. It, and this word preach, it carries the meaning of public discourse. It carries the meaning of a proclamation. And first and foremost, it's a story. People get confused all the time. They're like, well, how can I share the gospel with somebody? Just tell people the story. Tell, tell your story and how your story points to his story. People connect with stories. Start there. It's not about what disciples think and feel, but what they have seen and heard is the subject of proclamation. The Bible says, thus we proclaim and so you believe. Hence, one does not proclaim the gospel either in one's words or by one's own powers. Rather, one must be sent by Jesus. So I believe maybe some of us are squandering the authority that has been given to us. The Bible says you will have authority to drive out demons. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's intentionally empowering his disciples to do his great work. 
to proclaim the good news, to prevail over demonic powers. This is why I personally believe that when you're trying to invade enemy territory with divine authority, you will feel a bit of trepidation and you will feel a little bit of fear, but step into that because God gave you that authority. You have the authority of Jesus on you. He summoned you for it. He created you for it. And if you've ever been in the middle of a conversation when you're sharing the gospel with somebody or the prayer is flowing and the anointing is going and you're like, I was made for this. It's because you were. You were made for it. Jesus summons you. He calls you. He charges you with this. To have this active fellowship with him, you need not fear regardless of what you're going through. Jesus is with you. And so this symbolic force of this empowerment is as important as this actual effect. It's another example of this Christology that Jesus' authority is there and is given to you and to me. So as we conclude this particular message, and as we are going to pray and we're going to participate in communion, I want to say this. Discipleship, in your life and in my life, it's about three things. Number one, it's about our position. We are in Christ. That's where we find ourselves. We are in Christ. Jesus saves us. Jesus proclaimed the gospel for us. Jesus is for you. Primarily, it's about having an active fellowship with him. Number two, it's proclamation. It's sharing with others. It's speaking life and truth into the people in your life, regardless of the obstacles. And the third thing, it's possession. It's acting in his name. I am in Christ. I will speak the truth, and I will do so with the authority given to me by God. This is why disciples are not simply defined by what they stand for, but also by what they stand against. Disciples stand against injustice. We stand against the wrong things that are done. We stand against when sin is being committed. We stand against all those things, but at the same time, we are commissioned to confront demonic and evil powers, however they manifest themselves. And we confront them not only in thought and in word and in action. So if you see an opportunity to do good, you must do that. And friends, this is ultimately what I want us to get from this entire message. That when Jesus defined true discipleship, it is active fellowship with him. This is what we must seek. It's first about a who rather than what. It's about a person instead of a process. That, my friends, is true discipleship. You are listening to a message preached by Pastor Bogdan Kipko at Forward Church in Irvine, California. For more information about Forward Church, please visit forward.fm.